1: The Eightfold Path is a beautiful thing. And I can see everyone here is on it. In fact, all beings are on it because it's the path from which one can never really be off. But that's something to recognize and realize. So it takes some cultivation and some intention and motivation to stay on it. Of course, the Dharma is that which upholds, like Earth, like gravity. We don't really have to cling to it too much, but still we have to keep our head on our shoulders not in a dark place, and our feet are on the ground. And that's where intention and motivation comes in, to practice the Dharma. If we ask the Dalai Lama, as people often do, what's Buddhism, in short, or the essence? Of course, he always says, my religion is loving kindness. We all hear that. We hear it on TV and in movies and the media and books. But moreover, really, what he says, the essence of Buddhism, and he's exhorted us Buddhist teachers at many conf- teacher conferences with him, To teach the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, which is the Fourth Truth. Now, I'm not going to go into all that. Shaila has well instructed you. But the Four Noble Truths and the Fourth Truth is the Eightfold Path. So I'm going to talk about the Eightfold Path, especially right view tonight. But it's very important to realize in the context of the Four Noble Truths. The first one, Dukkha, that the unenlightened life is full of suffering and challenges. Duca, I don't like to translate it. Suffering is way too harsh. Maybe dissatisfactoriness is good. My translation is skruka. <laughs> Once you realize you're skruka'd from the first, things are seem a little less light more light. And you say, Oh, it's not my fault. Everybody's skruka'd? <laughs> I can make more jokes, but I see Shiloh sitting over there and I you know. I only write flimsy little jokes, books, but she writes like big, giant, classic tomes, so I, I feel like I should stay with the subject and talk about sama Samditi. Excellent outlook, clear vision, right view. We don't like to pound on the word right. Right's a really weak translation because it sounds like as opposed to wrong. It really means this sama, in the ancient languages of Sanskrit and Pali, it really means impeccable. I don't want to use the word perfect. It's way too idealizing, totalizing. But excellent view. So it's you know, Jack Crawfield likes the word wise, wise view, wise understanding or intentions, wise speech, wise actions, wise livelihood. He's a wise guy. Wise <laughs> concentration, wise mindfulness. And the other one, I don't know. Wise effort. Yes. Not exactly in that order. But who's counting? Because it's not really in order. You know, the original symbol of Buddha was not Buddha. Buddha forbade making images of himself. Since he found no separate self, and he wasn't into guru worship, etc. He was a spiritual friend, Mitra, a spiritual elder to many, teacher. Was the eight-spoked wheel. Each of the wheel is equal. So what comes first, the first and the eighth of the path, the Eightfold Path, Noble Eightfold Path, it's not really sequential or linear. Eight spokes that each support each other, that are really in each other. Anyway, today we're talking about right view. Wise view, excellent outlook, perspective, stance. What word could we use? Because view is not just views and opinions. There's a different word for that in the original language. We're not talking about views and opinions. Maybe we're talking about truth, but that's a slippery word and very hard to define. And there's my truth and your truth and so many truths. Reality is also not a popular Buddhist word, but that's the area we're in. Wise view, clear view, seeing things as they are, not as they ain't. Seeing things as they are, not as we are, with our projections and interpretations. Wise view, seeing it as it is. Clear vision wise view, excellent perspective. It's a beautiful thing. I don't know if the word objective comes into this, but it might. It's very hard to say in the postmodern era what's objective anymore. And objective is opposed to subjective. But in many cases, this means clear seeing, objective clarity, not subjective interpretation. And that's where meditation and the other practices of the Eightfold Path come in. Help us purify and clarify and clear out and open up our view. Be less rigid, less dogmatic, less stuck, less coming with preconceptions, overlaid, superimposed on reality, less coming with concepts, conceptual scaffolding, like barbed wire, superimposed on reality good, bad, up, down, east, west. Of course, those things in the relative world are important. If you're flying a plane, it's very important. But in deep space, as we all know, there is no up and down, because there's no center of gravity. So these things are very relative. So clear view is like the absolute truth. The first noble truth is like the absolute truth of Buddhist wisdom. God bless you. (laughs) If you ask the Dalai Lama what Buddhism is in a nutshell, he often says, Wisdom and compassion. Tonight we're talking about the wisdom part. If you press further, he'll always say the four noble truths and the eightfold path and the six paramitas, transcendental virtues, transformative practices, paramitas, paramis. That's not our subject tonight. Also, I'm sure has taught it. I've written a whole book on that. Buddha is as Buddha does, the ten transformative practices, original transformative practices of Buddha. You can read about it. I'm not here to flog my books, but I do want to say in Awakening the Buddha Within, Eight Steps to Enlightenment, That's all about the Eightfold Path. So needless to say, there's a whole chapter on right view. I was going to read the from that, but there's no need. I already said half the things I wanted to say that are from there. Let me begin with a statement of Thich Nhat Hanh, kind of to bring it up to date. The great, venerable Master Thich Nhat Hanh, I don't have to tell you who he is, peace activist, master, author of many books, brilliant sangha leader, monk, lifelong monk, nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by Martin Luther King in 1976 at the Vietnam Peace Talks in Paris. No slouch, no dropout, no baby boomer living on food stamps. A very committed man of the world who speaks 10 or 12 languages also. The great Thich Nhat Hanh says, And this, of course, is about right view. The wisdom in Buddhism. Right view and right intentions are understanding the first two steps on the Eightfold Path. Our happiness and the happiness of those around us depend on our degree of right view. Touching deep reality, knowing what is going on inside and outside of ourselves, is the way to liberate ourselves from suffering, from dukkha that is caused by, excuse me, wrong perceptions. Again, back to clearing our vision. That's where practice and the path and the spiritual journey comes in, of purification, of letting go, of transformation, of attitude refinement, of transmutation, of liberation. It's a pilgrim's progress. It's not a pill. Right view is not an ideology, a system, or even a path. It is the insight we have into the reality of life. A living insight which fills us with understanding, peace, and love. That's from his book, The Heart of the Buddha's Teaching, on page 51. You can look it up. There's a lot there. Happiness, peace, and love. Not just philosophy. Fills us. Not just we understand it mental. Fills us. Fills our being, body and mind, heart and soul, energy and spirit. What words we use? Us. Not just me. Awakening together. That's the second step on the path. Right understanding, right intentions. Not just an egotistic, selfish self improvement project. As we all know, if I've been here four times, I've probably said it four times Buddhism is not a self help project. There's no self and it can't be helped. (laughs) Laugh! (laughs) Let's get serious. This wisdom in Buddhism is the first two steps of the Eightfold Path, which is you know, part of the series here this year, and now we're doing Right View, the first step. But again, I want to say, it's not that the first really comes first and the last comes last. There are eight spokes, each supporting each other, co-simultaneous, co-emergent, mutually interpenetrative and supportive. The Eightfold Path is teased out from the three liberating trainings, the three higher trainings. Shila, Samadhi, and Prajna. Pra- I'm sure you've, un- you've heard this. Shila, ethical morality and self-discipline. Shila, that which cools the virulent passions. Samadhi, concentration, mindfulness, awareness, contemplation. Samadhi, and Panya, wisdom, transcendental wisdom, discernment. So the Eightfold Path is divided into three. The first two steps is the wisdom part, Right? wise view, and wise intentions, or wise understanding, understanding cause and effect, and so on. So wisdom in Buddhism, if you want to put it kind of square, is not like no self or emptiness or some big abstraction. It actually has three main parts. If we look into this, I'm just talking like now from the original uh, Sanskrit text, like Buddhism of India. Based on the Pali text, the original Buddhism of India. Wisdom in Buddhism, this wise way of clear seeing, right, right view, is understanding karma, causation. Nobody's pulling the strings, there's no God doing it to us. Karma, cause and effect, action and reaction. What goes around comes around. While we reap, we sow. I don't have to explain that. That's not our subject tonight. But I will throw in something else, which is karma. It doesn't just mean action or reaction. It means, re- it means reaction, reactivity. This is where meditation comes in, where we can catch ourselves before things catch us by being aware and present in the moment, bringing the wedge of mindful awareness, present awareness in between stimulus and reaction so we can catch ourselves before things catch us. It is wise to do so. So understanding karma and cause and effect. So we can choose how, when, and if to respond, not just blindly react. Bring the wedge of awareness between stimulus and reaction so we don't just blindly react like a knee-jerk reaction all the time. Habits and so on, retaliating in kind. So understanding karma, first, part of this wisdom section, prajna, part of the Eightfold Path, and second is understanding the three marks or characteristics of existence according to Buddha, Anicca, Anatta, and Dukkha, impermanence. No separate, independent self, and Skruka. We already understood that. So this is, by definition, the clear vision or wisdom in Buddhism in the first two steps of step one and step two. Clear view, right view, excellent view or outlook, and excellent right intentions or or understanding. Now, there's a lot more we could talk about about that. But, you know, in general, I, I want to say, let me just add something to this, because more or less everything I've said, Shyla could have said. Yeah, not as funny, but more clearly. <laughs> Better organized. <laughs> She's the, the right brain and the left brain. I'm kind of like the mindless. Again, what is with all this Mindfulness. How about carefree flowing? How about the great Tao? Anyway, that's another subject. Spontaneity. Well, that comes later. In Tibetan, right view is called Tawa. In Sanskrit, Darshan. Now, I mention this because anybody familiar with the word Darshan? It means like divine audience, seeing God, seeing the ultimate reality. So not just clear vision, which sounds very spick and span. Google inner search would appreciate that. Clear vision, objective, scientific. How about Darshan? Holy crap! Sacred vision, the bigger picture, not just clear vision. Aware of breathing in while breathing in, aware of breathing out while breathing out. That's good. What about the bigger picture? I'm not saying you know some particular bigger picture. Just like openness, spaciousness, panoramic, the totality. I'll use a word that's not popular in Buddhism, oneness. Interbeing, Thich Nhat Hanh calls it. Pretty close. So, Darshan, right view, the bigger picture. Sacramental vision. As if this earth is the altar and all the beings on in the Buddhism and Bodhisattvas. That everything is perfect as it is, a lawful unfolding, and so on. Free of our attraction and aversion. I like and I don't like. Greed, hatred, and the delusion that makes us feel separate from everything. Free from that, everything is what it is. It's hard to argue with that. That's reality in Buddhism that Thich Han talks about. Although reality is not something we very much assert, being more in the negative, the non-asserting ways like no-self, impermanence, dreamlike, like an echo, like a dream, like a sitcom, as it says in the Diamond Wisdom Scripture, and so on. So I like to think about this right view, this great view, this bigger picture, this ultimate stance, this cosmic, welted shong, you know, worldview, but cosmic, as the first step on the Eightfold Path. Not in sequence, I'm just saying the first spoke, the first thing... Buddha spoke about in the wheel of Dharma, that he's ceaselessly turning, even now. Listen up. Those who have ears to see, feel it. <laughs> that came out okay. <laughs> Crazy, but okay. In the world, this wisdom, remember we're talking about right view, and by implication, right intentions, are understanding the second step on the path. Is wisdom in Buddhism? That's the wisdom section, the Panna, of shila, samadhi, and punya. We already talked about ethics, meditation, and wisdom in short. What is wisdom in the world? In the world, King Solomon, the wisest of the old days, said wisdom is knowing between right and wrong. Yes, that goes back to our definition of understanding karma and suffering and where it comes from and so on. Knowing right and wholesome brings good results, wholesome, helpful and wrong, harmful, brings harmful results, and so on. That's Buddhist ethics. We're not talking about somebody judging us after we die and deciding which neighborhood we get to live in, higher or lower, you know, East Coast or West Coast, or whatever, Bay Area or LA, I don't know. But what is wisdom in the world, usually? Yes, knowing right from wrong. I think it's a profound understanding and a deep insight to put in English. And that's related to this right view, which brings this, and right understanding, excellent understanding, seeing how things work. Right view, the first step is like understanding the essence of things, clear vision as it is, seeing through things, not just being caught and deceived by the forms. And the second one, the right understanding or intentions is knowing how things work, so it's kind of like essence and form. In Zen it's called the nature of things and the function karma, causation, and so on. So we can function wisely. Wisdom should be like a verb. Like love is not just a thing. Also, love comes through loving. Not just you buy it, you get it from outside. Love comes through loving. Wisdom comes through wisening up, through wising. Through living wisely, back to the other parts of the path. Wise actions, wise speech, wise livelihood, wise concentration, mindfulness, effort. Lao Tzu said that wisdom, on wisdom, Lao Tzu of the Tao Te Ching, author of the great Tao Te Ching, perhaps the wisest book ever written, spoken, and I recommend Stephen Mitchell's translation to you. It's very worth reading. I never stop reading this book, The Tao Te Ching by Stephen Lao Tzu. He says, Knowing the world, knowing others is knowledge, knowing oneself is wisdom. Back to our practice. I don't know if introspection is the right word, but something like that. Being less outward-oriented. I don't like to stress looking inward. We're already pretty narcissistic, self-centered, egocentric, but looking deeper, yes, turning the spotlight inward, as Mahatma Gandhi said. Knowing others, knowing the world is knowledge, knowing oneself is wisdom, Lao Tzu. So that's wisdom, according to the greatest Chinese philosopher, He and Confucius, the two greats. Somebody else in China, Lin Yutang, said, the wise one reads both books and life. I like that. How about relational wisdom, relational mindfulness? Not just mindfulness of breath, sensations, perceptions, reactions, intentions, and dharmas, or states of mind, the four foundations of mindfulness. How about relational mindfulness? Empathizing, feeling the other. Feeling what they're feeling. There are other people you know. Oh, Buddhists. Who knew? I wasn't brought up that way. I was the first son of a Jewish family. (laughs) Other people? (laughs) Maybe that's just my problem. The Greeks divided wisdom... Also into two, we divided, we, Buddha, you know, Buddha and me, <laughs> divided wisdom into two, the excellent view and the excellent intention slash understanding. The Greeks similarly back then divided wisdom into two, Sophia and Phrenesis. Actually, I don't really understand any of these things, but I asked my friend Roger Walsh, Dr. Roger Walsh in Marin, and he explained this to me on you know, my research phone call for five minutes today. Sophia is the mystical, like right, and intuitive, right brain intuitive, bigger picture, grokking it all at once, gestalt, understanding, creative, right ring, mystical wisdom, Sophia in Greek. And phrenesis, practical wisdom, left brain, facts and putting things together and all that. I think of, so this mystical and practical wisdom is very important for us to recognize also. Wisdom is also an uncommon common sense. It's not just philosophical. It's not just about emptiness and the nature of reality, which it is, but you know, it's not just about the nature of identity also, which it is, but which is a little abstract. An uncommon common sense, knowing when to plant and when to harvest, etc. So we can live the wise and the good and the beautiful life, us and all together. What's wholesome and unwholesome means what's helpful and har- what's harmful, not just an abstraction. I think of this too, the mystical and practical sides of wisdom according to Greeks as discernment, like discriminating wisdom, keen discernment, perspicacity, keen discernment, coupled with an uncommon common sense. I'm sure we all know plenty of absent minded professors who know all about philosophy and you know, forget to go out of the house with their shoes on, like Einstein. And maybe we're we're like that too. Or maybe we're in our head most of the time and not in our heart or our body or you know, things like where we take care of others and we forget to take care of ourselves. You know, there's a lot of symptoms of this around us. I'm not going to go into all that. In my little anthology of wisdom here, the great Tibetan master who came from India was invited from India to Tibet in the 12th century, Atisha, who brought the attitude transformation, spiritual refinement, lojong or mind training, spiritual refinement. Bodhisattva, altruism training to Tibet, Lojung. He said, the highest wisdom is clinging to nothing. That's a good definition for us Buddhist meditators, isn't it? Joe Gold would definitely agree. Joey Goldstein, the first patriarch of Buddhism, he always talks about this non attachment as the essence of his Dharma. In the Prajna Paramita, which is the Mahayana wisdom scriptures of 100,000 verses, and I'm referring to the Edward Kanze translation, he says, The perfection of prajna, wisdom, panya, prajna paramita, panya. The perfection of panya, prajna, is gnosis, intuitive knowing gnosis, not just thinking, conceptual thought, gnosis beyond subject object dichotomy. I want to say that again, because that's very important for our meditation practice and understanding. This perfection of wisdom, prajna, is gnosis. It's it's a way of intuitively knowing. It's a way of of, uh, being clear beyond subject and object dichotomy. No meditator in meditation. No me watching the breath. That's only the beginning. That's training wheels. Four wheels is too many on a bike. It's good for a car. Four wheels is too many on a bike. Maybe even two wheels is too many. So subject-object and interaction is the karmic world. We can settle into an awareness that is uncompartmentalized, of spacious, clear, profound, unmoved, yet flowing present awareness, naked awareness. But I think the real question is how to get wisdom get wiser. Some people believe and have found it's from being with those who are wise mentors, sages, saints, whatever, grandmothers, you know. We have to find our own sometimes. They're also out there. In Tibetan Buddhism, we talk about developing wisdom, prajna, through four ways because this is not something we pray for. This wisdom, this prajna, this panya. So, gaining right view and right intentions, understandings. First, by learning. That's kind of obvious, but we overdo that in our culture. We're in the over-information age here. And second, by reflection and analysis. How much of that are we doing in our culture? I'm not sure. A lot of analysis, perhaps, on the couch, but not enough reflection. What do you think? Always reacting. Somebody does something to us. Go and get them. Not really reflecting on causes and origins and future implications, the whys and the hows. So, learning, reflection, analysis. Third, meditation, contemplating it, chewing it over. And fourth, integrating it into life through application, trying it out, seeing how it works. Learning, reflection, analysis. Meditation, contemplation, a fourth integration application. That's how we develop wisdom in Tibetan Buddhism. So it's not just something we pray for. It's not just something we meditate and try to concentrate on. We try to develop it, and it includes learning, so we can learn how to meditate better. Not just sitting there trying not to think. That's not meditation. That's thought-suppressing. And there are pills and bottles for that that work better anyway. So, this excellent view is a great, great subject that brings us into the big, you know, recognizing, realizing, experiencing, integrating, grokking, really, taking in and making it part of ourselves, becoming part of it, the bigger picture, whatever we want to call it, the ultimate reality. In Sanskrit, because of the language of India, the language of the gods, they call it the divine vision. But Buddhism doesn't go much for the divine, so we call it the ultimate reality, or things as they are, or naked. Truth, absolute truth, the dharmakaya, it's all more or less synonymous. That's where our practice brings us to. And the whole practice of the Eightfold Path of shila, ethical morality and self-discipline, which includes compassion and all. Shila, samadhi, contemplation and mindfulness, awareness, and prajna, discriminating wisdom. Then we see things as they are, not as they ain't. No more delusion. Not so much greed, aversion, based on this delusion of separateness or that I'll be happy when I get this, I'll be happy when I get rid of that, and so on. The way we go through life, it's so exhausting. Pushing and pulling. I want, I don't want. Greed, hatred, and delusion oiling the wheel of samsara, of conditioned being, of, of skruka. I could end now, but I do want to mention, and I also, because Charlotte, Charlotte in a way I feel like I'm, talking, I'm just continuing the conversation I had with Charlotte at lunch and that we've been having since I met her 20 years ago in India at her guru's house in Allahabad on Pig Alley. Everything I just said is accurate. The Bhagavad Gita says, humility, you just think about your teacher, friends. Humility, unostentatiousness, non-injuring, that means non-violence, forgiveness, simplicity, purity, self-control. This is called wisdom, which is opposed to ignorance. (laughs) I think that's our teacher here also Thich Nhat Hanh and other, the Dalai Lama and other exemplary individuals. And I'm not going to say that you know we're at their level. I'm just saying just appreciate the virtues. And those virtues are also part of each of us. If not you, your mate probably exemplifies it. Oh, I have one more quote here. I bring this to you because it's not in this book. Almost everything is in this book. But this quote from the Sufi saint Ibn Gabriel of the 11th century is not in that book. In seeking wisdom, the first step is silence. I know at the beginning I heard Charlotte saying, You should talk to this person, you should talk to Marine, you should talk to that person, you remember? And I was thinking, my jokey mind, what about the noble silence? <laughs> There's a lot of social networking going on here. I see you people texting. (laughs) The Sufi says, in seeking wisdom, the first step is silence. How about openness and receptivity and emptying yourself and stopping for a moment, paying attention with the silence? The second is listening. The third, remembering. Remembering what? How about remembering to remember what you're doing while you're doing it, which is the definition of mindfulness. Remembering to remember what you're doing while you're doing it. Mindfulness. Rather, mindlessness. The fourth is practicing. And the fifth, teaching others. This is wisdom. For the benefit of all. One and all.